taught to us. And Kadesh Barnea, we realized and we saw related to a place of decision. And uh, in terms of the children of Israel coming to this place and in this instance, they did not believe the Lord, didn't trust God and they failed that generation to enter into their inheritance that God had said, I will give you. And so, there was an emphasis last week on our, uh, our part, our responsibility. But as I've been continuing this theme and I've been considering all the various aspects that are associated with it, especially in relation to our part and God's part, my mind was brought to the issue of the Jordan in, um, in the Bible. And so the, the, that which we want to look at today and that which we want to consider predominantly illustrates in this instance not so much men's responsibility but God's, amen, God's part in this process of bringing us in to the promised land, the fullness of the blessing, the fullness of Christ, full stature, all these various phrases. So we are familiar with the Red Sea crossing, right? We've all, you know, we've come out of Egypt and God parted the waters with Moses and they went through and, and, and so forth. We're all kind of well versed in that. We understand the issue of that representing um, uh, spirit baptism when we are baptised into Christ. When we are born again and we talk about water baptism which reflects that which is outward, outwardly reflecting that which is inward. And so you have these issues, but we kind of sometimes, uh, for the most part, don't give a lot of thought to the issue of the Jordan crossing, crossing the Jordan, because that was a miracle in and of itself as well. And it has a, a wonderful uh, truth associated with it, which we want to look at, because one man said that Christians would greatly profit from understanding the, the, the spiritual lesson that is incorporated in the Jordan crossing in the same way that we come to understand that which uh, doctrinally relates to the crossing of the Red Sea. And it will help us to grasp and consider uh, the, the process by which we are to obtain that fullness and all that God has provided for us. See, one of the things that we can be sure of as we look at this this morning is the promised land could not be uh, entered without first crossing the Jordan. It was a, this, is, this is a fact. Scripture does not provide a way to enter apart from the crossing of the Jordan. And so, as we consider that, and what it teaches us, we want to see how we are to spiritually cross the Jordan ourselves. And so, obviously, that's not a literal thing, but uh, there is a spiritual lesson and we want to draw it from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 11 and we're going to jump to a few verses there and jump to a few verses in chapter 12. But I want to say from the onset, I'm going to be tracking through some things this morning and so we're going to go to various scriptures. So, be patient. Let's work through this. Let's take the time to consider these things and allow God to reveal himself to us as the great work that he wants to do in us. So, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 31 is where we'll start. For you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you and you will possess it and dwell in it and you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. 
Go to chapter 12 and I want you to go to verse 8. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit and he gives you rest from all your enemies around about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be a place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. I can... um, I, there, uh, sorry, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithes, heath offerings and hand and choice of offerings which, and you vow to the Lord. But we'll leave it there. We don't want to focus on that particular verse. Now, what's interesting in the scriptures that I have selected and what I've read this morning is there are some key words in the text that uh, set, set the onset. So God is saying you're going to cross over the Jordan. And in doing so, God says, you're going to possess the land that I am giving you. And so you have these key phrases in terms of possessing the land. And then you also find that they are going to dwell in the land as well. In verse 31, they're going to possess it, they're going to dwell in it. Or in other words, they're going to live in there, in that place of their inheritance we also find that uh, uh, in verse uh, eight, uh, and sorry, in verse nine, we find that you have not yet come to the rest. There's another issue that is being highlighted: rest, and uh, that's going to come about as they enter into the promised land. For as yet, they haven't entered into that part of their inheritance. And then it says that you will dwell in the land, in verse ten, and you will dwell in safety. You would dwell in security. And so these concepts, these key phrases, these key words teach us and reveal to us aspects about the fullness of our inheritance. They're not just words that have no meaning. They are very significant for us as Christians, especially as, a, as we relate to it in Christ Jesus. These are very much characteristic of our inheritance in Christ and these are the possessions that we ourselves in Christ are to lay a hold of. But let's consider firstly, what does the Jordan teach us? What does the Jordan teach us in relation to the spiritual lesson that we are to learn? Now, to understand this, we're going to start at Genesis chapter 13. You don't have the screen, okay? So if you go to Genesis 13 and you go to verse 10 and 11, you'll find that this is the first instance in which we find the Jordan that is mentioned. And in that, the Bible speaks about Lot. And it says, So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Now, as I was studying this out, uh, in, again, this part of the typology of the Old Testament, when we find the word east and west, we find in Scripture that it has spiritual significance. So when it refers to the Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward, there's something for us to determine and detect in relation to that because moving eastward and westward is significant in Scripture. For example, in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 24, 
when uh, God drove out uh, uh, Adam and Eve and uh, Cain and Abel, uh, so Cain in that instance, uh, out of the garden, they went east of the garden, east of the garden. And so Cain settled east of Eden. And so when we talk about moving towards the east, we are reflecting upon, spiritually, uh, biblically speaking, moving away from God. If we're moving eastward, we're moving away from God. That's why we call it Eastern religion, right? <laughs> in the west, in the west, we're moving towards the east. You know what I'm saying? And so, but there's a, there's a spiritual truth in that. It's not just a, uh, there for the sake of it. And so the opposite is true. If we're moving in the other direction, we're moving towards God. And so there's a distinction in relation to the Jordan that must be made between the east side and the west side in Scripture. And so what we also understand is where we find that is Lot in the Bible is considered and known as a, a man of the flesh, isn't he? If we look at the typology that surrounds Abraham and Lot, I'm not going to go into depth, I'm just touching on these things, but they, they teach us something. Abraham is considered a spiritual man, whereas Lot, he saw the plains and they were well watered, they were green and, uh, and he saw the, uh, the other side to the east and so to the west and he said, I'm going east. And off he went and, uh, and so you have uh, uh, Lot there and he is reflected in Scripture as a man of the flesh, a carnal man, whereas Abraham is considered to be a spiritual man. And so what we begin to identify in relation to the Jordan is that it has to do with matters of flesh and spirit. Okay? It has to do with matters of flesh and spirit. Now, the New Testament has much to say on this subject, doesn't it? And as you begin to read your Bibles, you'll find in the book of Romans especially uh, these distinctions that are being made in which we have to live and walk in the Spirit. In Galatians, you find it again in, in chapter uh, 5 where it talks about to li- uh, walk in the Spirit. And this is the aim, this is the end in which we are striving towards uh, through the grace of God and the working of God in us to live and to walk in the Spirit because the reality is uh, though we are born of the Spirit, it doesn't mean walking and living in the Spirit is automatic. And so we, we begin to make that distinction between flesh and spirit. But also, the word Jordan itself in the Hebrew gives us a further insight into the dealings of God and what this Jordan crossing teaches us. You'll also find that the word in Hebrew is Yadin and it means this, the descender. That's what the, the root word means to come down, to go down or to bring down. And the thought that is behind Jordan and the spiritual teaching and meaning that's behind Jordan is the concept and idea that God is intent on bringing down man's strength. He is intent on drawing down and bringing down man's strength because it is not in and of ourselves that we can in, uh, lay a hold of this inheritance. Again, we have our part to play, but again, this is the divine aspect that we are considering. And Jordan teaches us that we cannot do it, we cannot attain it, and more than that, God wants to bring us to the end of ourselves to, to realise that in and of ourselves we can't. There are two streams that run on the east side of the Jordan. They're the Jabuk 
Jabok, whatever you want to call it, and Cherin. And again, these give us a little bit of insight because the Jabok means emptying and Cherin means cutting. And both are symbolic because God has to, uh, in his work in us, has to teach us that to obtain our inheritance, it's not based upon our our own human self-effort. There is a part we play. There is an effort that is involved. But I'm saying you must understand first and foremost the the divine uh, uh, power and the divine purpose and enabling that facilitates and gives any opportunity for that. The Bible says no one comes to God unless God draws them. It's God that takes the initiative. We have our part to play and the responsibility, but we see it is God's work. This is the same thing that we need to understand and God takes us through a process where we are emptied of ourselves, where we come to the end of our human strength because one of the things that many of us do when we're first saved is we thank God for our salvation, but unbeknowing and ignorantly, we begin to try and walk in the Christian life and we try and walk in our own strength. Has anyone been guilty of that? I have. If you've lived, uh, served the Lord for any length of time, you, you will learn this lesson. What's interesting about Jabuk is uh, Jabok, whatever you want to pronounce it, is where, that's where God came down uh, and wrestled with Jacob, wasn't it? And you know the story, that's where uh, God came down, the Bible says, in Genesis, and he wrestled with Jacob. Jacob was a schemer. And even up until this point where God comes down to wrestle with him, he's still working it out in himself. He's still trying to scheme it out. He's still trying to fabricate it and in his own ability and strength. And God says, I'm going to fix this man up. I'm going to knock him out once and for all. And you know the story. The angel of the Lord comes down and he, bang, and the hip socket is out of joint and he has that limp. And that is symbolic that uh, his human strength is broken and his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, but there's another truth in that. Jacob wrestled with God and got the blessing. But I'm not going to go into that, but that's another lesson in and of itself. But you see, God... The Cherith is the issue of cutting, and again, in this context, it's the cutting down of man's strength. Because what we realise is that this blessing that we're talking about, that we've been considering, it's not something that we possess from our own strength. Somehow that it's up to us to attain it. Somehow that through works that we're going to attain this. No, no, no. But rather, what we realise is it's all the blessing of God. He says, I have given it and God will bring us into and God is the one that's, uh, that in his grace causes us to inherit our inheritance and possess our possessions. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, cursed is the man who trusts in man. But you see, who makes flesh his strength. That's exactly where God doesn't want us to live. And if you live there, I tell you, we've got some very hard lessons to learn because you're talking to ding-dong number one. Okay? But you see, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And this is the process of learning to trust more and more and more as we grow from faith to faith, for the just shall live by faith. But anyway, we see that there are these aspects associated with the Jordan and the issue of Jabok and Cherith 
uh, teach us. And again, another lesson. But you know, you can't learn the lessons of these places unless you've first passed through the wilderness. And when you've gone through the wilderness and you're dry and you're at the end of yourself and, and you're just like, I can't do this anymore. You ever felt like that? I can't, I can't do it. You know what's happening? I'm dying. One man said, to, I remember someone said, I'm dying. I said, that's exactly what God's doing. He's trying to kill you. He's trying to get you to come to the end of yourself where you say, I can't do it. You see, <clears throat> but still in this process, I trust that we are moving from east to west. Let's look a little bit further here. Because there is a difference in the, type, the typical meaning of the Red Sea and the Jordan. But what I've realised is that they, they both, in essence, are two sides to one coin. Or in other words, they, they teach us, uh, they're both rooted in the similar tr- uh, truths of the scripture. For example, we understand the Red Sea symbolises, uh, you know, we were buried with him in baptism, as Romans 6 talks about it, and, so, and we are raised into a newness of life in Christ, and so we've, we're talking about this resurrection life, we're talking about this newness of life, we're talking about this aspect of the Spirit that takes place when we are born again. But you see, the Jordan typifies another realm or another aspect to the same truth but in a different way. You see, the Red Sea typifies for the most part our positional identification in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can find this in the book of Romans and I'm, going to, I'm, I'm not going to go through it but I'm going to make lots of reference. We will go through a couple of things. But I will say this because these things have to be doctrinally first stated in the, in the New Testament. And the book of Romans fundamentally, although it's out throughout the epistles everywhere, but Romans itself gives us a blueprint and an understanding of these things and especially in Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6 where we find our positional identification in Christ's death and resurrection. But you see, that typifies the Red Sea, but the Jordan and the crossing of the Jordan now listen to this, is related to our experiential identification with Christ. Now I want you to take a note of that in his death and resurrection. And that is illustrated in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. So in other words, for the most part, Romans 5 and 6 talk about it from more of an an objective a positional state, whereas chapter 7 and chapter 8 refers to it more into a subjective and experiential aspect. And you can read that for yourselves, but you see that this is the pattern that we find in the New Testament and we find illustrated for us in Scripture. So what am I saying here? You see, the Jordan itself, the crossing of the Jordan, points to the practical application of deliverance from the self-life, from the flesh that wants to dominate the Christian. Because the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit lusts against the flesh. And so the issue of the Jordan has a, 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 teaches us something about the cross, but in an inward way. You see, when we look at, when we look at Christ 
and we look at the cross, we see the work of Christ, we see redemption, we see it objectively, we see it outwardly. But see, when we talk about the Jordan, we're talking now about something that is more inward, more subjective and experiential. You see, I remember years ago I was on a website uh, that was, um, you know, the, the Paul Washer. He was apparently a part of this church. And I went onto this church website and as part of their little logo or, you know, that they have for the church, there was a big cross and a small cross. And so because, because that's in essence what the Red Sea and, uh, and what the, uh, the Jordan is typifying. And so we're talking about this little cross in terms of the inward crucifixion if that, that we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to the old man, the Adamic nature that wants to dominate, the Adamic nature that wants to, to rise up and rule. And, uh, and if, we, if, if we don't walk according to the Spirit, then we will fulfil the lusts of the flesh. See, we were born crucified, but now we need to live the crucified life. And Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And Paul desired to know the power of his resurrection. And so what I'm saying again this morning is that when you become a Christian, you begin to identify the, the abundance of blessings, and they are many, that are related to the substitutionary work of Christ. When you look at the cross and you see all that that represents, all that it speaks, the position that it gives us in Christ, I tell you, it is absolutely phenomenal. But then to begin to, uh, 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 but what I'm talking about is as you go along as a Christian, you begin to find that there's a big difference uh, uh, between the old creation and the new creation. That there is a war that rages within you that somehow you don't seem to be attaining to those things. Okay, well, this is who I am in Christ, but why does this not being my experience? Why am I not walking in victory? Why am I not walking in fullness? Why do I not have peace? Why do I not dwell in security? Why do I not have rest? And so you begin to see... Uh, as, as you and I, I, I can testify to this, and I can tell you many, many men of God who I have read in recent uh, uh, over the years uh, who have taken the time to pen these things testify to the same realities. We begin to realise that there's a big difference between the natural life and the spiritual life, and then we say to ourselves, "I want the spiritual. I want the spiritual." But how do I get it? Well, you're going to have to cross the Jordan. You're going to have to cross the Jordan. You see, the objective never guarantees the subjective or the objective work of Christ, although it guarantees our position in Christ, it ultimately doesn't guarantee our experience in Christ because we then have to appropriate those things in the course of our Christian life and there's a process that's involved in that and we see various principles in the Bible that teach us how this works. The first generation of Israel typifies that in which they never entered the land. Now, in saying that, I want to point out again the book of Romans. You can, uh, people, actually we're studying it in our Bible study. I know that others are actually studying it in their Bible study. 
And so you'll begin to identify, especially in the chapters of chapter 5, 6, 7 and 8, as you ponder these and study them, you will begin to see how it's highlighted because Romans 3, for example, talks about the objective work of Christ, doesn't it? And chapter 5, in a sense, talks about uh, the crossing of the Red Sea and that we have gone from it, Adam, and now we are in Christ. We have come out of Egypt. <coughs> and this is further reiterated in chapter 6. And until chapter 7, verse 6. Now, if you can turn to Romans, chapter 7, verse 6, because there's a distinction here and then there's a shift. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. In other words, what Paul the Apostle is teaching us is that we have been discharged from the law, haven't we not? And that's why I'm happy to talk about what's in the Old Testament as long as it points to Christ. I'm not preaching legalism. You see, I had a a, a few months ago, I I had someone contact me and not that they knew what I was preaching, they were just wanting to share some things and they said, you know, that we need to focus just on the new and forget the old because the old is, you can't mix the bitter and the sweet. And I said, I text back and I said, you know what? Where the, where the Bible reveals to us Christ and teaches us Christ, it can be nothing but sweet. And that's why we can draw from, from those things. I understand there's a danger and, it's, and it is a very real danger. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not talking about legalism. The Bible says clearly in Romans 7, we've been delivered from the law. We, were di- we have died to what we've been held by so that we could be married to another, which is Christ, is what it's talking about. But it says that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. You see, we serve God now, listen to this, not under some law, not under some outward form, not under external rules, not under some code of regulations. That's legalism. We serve God now in the Spirit in the newness of life and the challenge to the Christian is to learn to walk in the Spirit. This is what we talk about in coming to maturity in Christ Jesus. And so we have to learn to live under obedience to the Spirit, don't we? Because uh, there are going to be days and instances in our daily lives where we, we have to walk in obedience to God. When no one else is around, how are we going to live? How are you going to conduct yourself? Are you going to obey the Word of God? Are you going to submit to the, uh, and obey the Spirit? Are you going to walk in the newness of the Spirit? You see, we are, we are working and obeying and submitting and we are yielding and we are uh, obeying the Spirit of God, the Word of God. See, Paul said to the Galatians, He said, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? That's the trap we fall into, all of us, in one way, shape or form. But you see, we begin to realise and God begins to to teach us that we need to cross the Jordan. And the challenge is, is to live in the newness of the spirit. Now, in saying that, that is an experiential aspect. Okay? 
That's what I call, when I relate to experience and experiencing of the Spirit, I'm talking about being led of the Spirit. I'm talking about being taught by the Spirit. I'm talking about being guided by the Spirit. I'm talking about being uh, instructed by the Spirit, convicted by the Spirit. We can go on and on and on, but I'm talking about that is how it works. And to do that, you have to begin to be subjected to God. You have to learn to walk in that way. It's a practical application of the Christian life. And in that sense, it is to be experienced. You see, now what I'm talking about is not as easy as it sounds, is it? Not that it's impossible, because it's not impossible. But we realise... It's, it, it, we realise that there is a difficulty here. And don't worry, because you're not alone. You see, in Romans chapter 7, Paul begins to proceed from verse 6 onwards and he begins to talk about the dilemma of human nature. You see, in essence, chapter 7 of Romans is Paul's wilderness experience. It's his wilderness experience. It's where he, he's battling between the old and the new. You know, there's a whole argument. Is this the unregenerate man or is this the regenerate man? I'm here to tell you that it is, it is both. In the sense that, because it, it typifies human nature. It typifies our flesh. It typifies who we fundamentally are in Adam and of Adam. And so Paul is identifying this and you can read it for yourself where he says, you know, the things I want to do, I just don't do. And there's, you know, I I will to do, but I just don't find the ability to do it. He's saying in my strength, I can't do it. But he's learnt this, like all of us, through his wilderness experience. But you see, he doesn't end in his defeated state, does he? He states and he says at the end of chapter 7, O wretched man that I am. And that's what we all are. O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, Oh, thank God, through Jesus Christ. You see, right there is Paul's Jordan crossing. He has moved now from the the realm of the flesh into the spirit and Romans chapter 8 is the promised land for the Christian. Can you say amen? You read that, it is rich. You read that and it's full. And you say, how can I live in that? But you see, that's ours. The blessing. You see, this is a glorious glorious picture of the crossing of the Jordan. And you know, when in Joshua, when they crossed the Jordan, the Bible says that the priests, they bared the ark and they stepped into the Jordan. And as they stepped in, the waters parted. And you see, what we have is, amen, we have the presence of God. We have Christ who goes before us the author and finisher of our faith, the one that brings us into the possession of our possessions, the one that brings us into the place where through a miracle of God, the waters depart because we can't do it. Amen. But I tell you, as we yield to Him, as we submit to Him, through Jesus Christ, there is victory. 
And that's what Paul is saying. Oh, glory to God. You see, let's go to Romans chapter 8, if you can turn there. I want to read from verse 1, just to get an idea, a picture of what we're talking about. We're not going to go in depth through it, obviously, but let's just read it. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal man is enmity against God, for it is not submitted to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will uh, will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You see, Paul in verse 2 talks about the spirit of the law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ. This is what predicates the new creation. This is what is fundamental to Christian living. This, because you see, the law of sin and death always leads to death. And, the, and if, we, if we proceed on a works mentality, if we're just working in our own strength and ability to try and achieve, we'll always end up in death. But you see, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, amen, that works entirely the opposite. And in doing so, there we find the power, there we find the resources, there we find the law of the spirit of life in Christ is what brings us into that fullness. And if the same, in verse 11, but if the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, this is resurrection power. This is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. If, if, if he who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he'll give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. It's the life of Christ. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is being filled with the Spirit. It is walking in the Spirit. It is all of these things. And yet we have this infusion of divine life that is constant. It's a flow. It's like rivers of living water that is at work in us. Hallelujah. 
The same spirit that parted the Red Sea is the same spirit that parts the Jordan. Glory to God. You see, this is to be the experience of the spirit. That we would learn to die to the old man. The, 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 the flesh and that we would begin to live and walk in the spirit in other words as we've pointed out we're to move from, uh, from the east to the west in the crossing of the Jordan we are to transition from the earthly to the heavenly from the, uh, from, from the flesh to the spirit and we have been given the power and the provision of God to do so. But what is required is for us is to apprehend that and we do that by faith. Now, <clears throat> you remember in back to the text in Deuteronomy, there were those phrases that we highlighted at the beginning where um, God refers to, you know, uh, you can live, in the, dwell in the land. He, he uses that phrase. Let me turn to it again so that we can just reference to it specifically he says for you will cross over the Jordan and go in and possess the land so this is possession and you will uh, dwell in it live in it and then you can have that rest this is the rest that Hebrews speaks about in Christ that we are to to enter into and uh, also we find that we shall dwell safely and securely and I tell you, there's nothing more exciting than living in that fullness, having the fullness of God, having the love of God, having the peace of God, having the comfort of God, having um, the security that comes with that, just all that we are in Christ and all that we have received. What a blessing it is to dwell in the land. Can you say amen? What a blessing it is to dwell in the land to possess these things because I have, I have known over many times and over, over years, even personally, for those that do not understand and have not appropriated these things and they live in a state of anxiety and fear and torment and failure, defeat, discouragement. But that's not what God has for us. We've looked at that. You see, you have to cross the Jordan to possess this and God says, I'll open those waters. My spirit will go before you. This is the spirit of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You know, <clears throat> back to our text in verse twelve. Sorry, our verse um, uh, chapter twelve in verse verse eight. God says, "You shall not at all do as we are doing here today. Every man doing what is right in his own eyes." See, Christianity is we're not just left to ourselves. It's not about what you want, I want. You know, we're all under the guidance and control and the dimension of the Spirit of God. And so we have here in verse 8 God's stating that up until this point they've been doing what's right in their own eyes. But in verse 9 he says, For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord God is giving you. You see... It's, we, are, we are not in a position to do what we want. Can you say amen? I'm free in Christ. Well, that, with the price of freedom is eternal. And so the bless, the, 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 this spirit, this walking in the Spirit incorporates many, many aspects. Again, go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 12. 
And as we bring this to a conclusion, you'll see what the scripture says. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if according to the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, let's go back because we've got to get our concentration here in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, there's a part of our responsibility there. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And the aim of the Christian life is to be led of the Spirit. It's to be controlled by the Spirit. It's to be taught by the Spirit. And so this is the whole thing. But to do so, we're going to have to learn to live in the Spirit. You're going to have to learn to walk in the Spirit. And, you know, when we finally come to the end of our strength, when we finally come to the end of ourselves we find a source of power. We find the miracle of God that parts the waters of the Jordan and we walk through into victory. Hallelujah. And I can, this is not everybody's experience, mind you, but there are, there are, there are, it is an experience of many and that is sometimes this can be an instantaneous thing where we are so broken before the Lord and we're before God and we're broken and then in an instant the Spirit of God just breathes and moves and all of a sudden we walk, we've just crossed the Jordan. It happens like that. And then you say, I get it. <laughs> I got it. Or in other words, he's got me. Hallelujah. It's time to cross the Jordan. You know, I was just thinking about this as I was pondering how to conclude it and I thought, you know, there's so many aspects to all of this that we could touch upon but, you know, we know that there were two tribes. There was the two, Reuben and Gad, that settled on the east side of the Jordan. They didn't cross and, uh, you know, move west and inherit and go into their possession but they said, we're just going to dwell here. Moses was agitated, Remember? He said, no, don't do it again. We've just been through this for 40 years. But it, God allowed it. But at the same time, we know that history tells us they were, uh, they were the first to depart from the faith, weren't they, and so forth in various ways. But you see, let's not dwell on the east side, amen. Let's keep moving west. Let's read, let's read our book of Romans and read chapter 5 and chapter 6, chapter 7. And don't, when you get to chapter 7, don't get depressed. Read chapter 8 and say, Lord, make it real. Open the waters and he will. Glory to God. God bless you this morning. I'll leave it there. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God. I just thank you, Lord, that you are so faithful. God, we're talking about the spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We're talking about the, 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 the power of God that, that uh, split the waters of the Jordan. Oh God, you are the one that brings deliverance to self. 
You're the one, Lord, that brings us to the end of our own strength and then brings us into the glorious liberty of the children of God, that we would be walking in the Spirit, be led of the Spirit. God, make this real in our experiences. Make it practically real, that we would know it for ourselves, that we could testify for ourselves. And that each one, Lord, would dwell in the land. Hallelujah. And feed off your faithfulness and your goodness. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. God bless you this morning.